1: You are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Sinn Féin tables a bill which would replace the TV licence with exchequer funding and provide an amnesty for people who have not paid the fees. Not everyone is biting.
2: The government needs to stop fighting like ferrets in a sack behind the scenes, support Sinn Féin's proposal, and indeed, those of their own Minister for Media.
3: This motion, I believe, is probably one of the most amateur I've seen. Seems like you've thrown out a dead fish on the table to try and divert attention.
1: Diverting traffic from Dublin, we debate new measures being brought to Cabinet to reduce cars and to promote more public transport in the capital. And international pressure grows on Israel over its military offensive in the packed city of Rafah in Gaza, including strong words from a government minister here.
4: It is not acceptable effectively to behave like a monster. To, to defeat a monster, uh, which is what Israel uh, are, are now doing.
1: Bush and Fein has proposed an amnesty to people who have not paid their TV licence. The proposal was part of a bill tabled by the party that seeks to scrap the licence fee and replace it with direct exchequer funding. During a debate this evening, the Minister for Media, Catherine Martin, said that serious consideration should be given to the option of direct funding, but said Sinn Féin's motion was reckless and irresponsible. Here's a taste of those exchanges.
2: We've had committees, we've had commissions, we've had all sorts of research and time and money invested into this question. But successive Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael governments haven't had the political courage to make a call on this. The government needs to stop fighting like ferrets in a sack behind the scenes, support Sinn Féin's proposal and, indeed, those of their own Minister for Media.
0: I, too, agree that serious consideration needs to be given to the option of a direct-exchequer funding model to replace the current TV licence fee system. And I have said this previously. A taxation-based system is fairer, more effective, more stable and better future-proofed. But abolishing it with immediate effect, as Sinn Féin is proposing, is both reckless and irresponsible. It's disgraceful to think that 13,000 people faced court proceedings last year uh, alone for not having a TV licence when RTE was spending thousands of euros of public money on flip-flops, among other things, with no oversight and no accountability.
3: I've been around a while and... This motion, I believe, is probably one of the most amateur I've seen. I think it's, frankly, a crazy motion. Um, Not very well written. The figures, for me, don't add up as regards it actually supplying the adequate amount of funding that will be required for public service broadcasting. Seems like you've thrown out a dead fish on the table to try and divert attention uh, in some way and get back, back to your old populist ways.
1: Well, joining me to discuss this are Green Party D for Limerick, Brian Ledden. Sinn Féin TD for Cork, North Central, Thomas Gould. Deputy Political Editor of The Irish Independent, Hugh O'Connell. And by Jane Sutter from the School of Communications at DCU. You're all very welcome to the programme. So, Thomas, let's give you a chance to defend the allegations thrown out there. This was amateur. The figures don't add up. It's a dead fish on the table.
4: Yeah, well listen, it's just unbelievable that Alan Kelly would make those comments, the man who brought in the water charges and destroyed the Labour Party doing it, and he rolled off with all the charges tonight. Um, listen, I'd say this is probably the last we're gonna see of Alan Kelly, and he would probably hurt to know because Sinn Fein have taken over the Labour Party used to be. This motion really makes sense. Right? And it's, this is not what Sinn Fein are saying. This is what the Commission for the Future of Media report states. That has been sitting on Minister Merton's desk for two and a half years and no action. And this is not just, this is going back to 2013, when there have been reports, 2013, 2016, 2019 all about the future of public service broadcasting.
1: But that wasn't the only, I suppose, element of this report. There's also questions of an amnesty in there, which I want to get to. There's also questions about on post-funding, which I'm going to get to. And Deputy Martin saying, look, there's lots within this that she actually agrees with, including the idea of exchequer funding being ring-fenced, but that this motion that you put forward was rushed, it was ill-considered, and your figures didn't match up.
4: Well, just to be fair to Minister Martin, I I listened to her tonight and I actually brought her speech with me. Because seven or eight times she agreed with Sinn Féin in the minister's speech was... And all my, I'm only in the for four years, I've never seen it. And what I believe tonight, Minister Martin has showed, that the Green Party support this, but the Taoiseach Leo Varadka is insisting that a household charge will come in, and that will come in after the European and locals. And OK, that,
1: and we'll get to that, because yeah. I think there's debate about whether or not that's actually what the Taoiseach's saying when he spoke to your paper quite recently, um, Hugh. But let's just come to you, Brian. Your minister... <laughs> Right, Catherine Martin accusing Sinn Féin of being rushed about this. But it is fair to say you have taken your time in the extreme to make a decision around funding public service broadcasting. Yeah,
5: I've only been in the Dáil four years as well and I've never quite seen a situation where the opposition parties were lining up uh, to criticise an opposition motion. It was really quite uh, quite staggering, really. And we all agree that there needs to be... Uh, a review of uh, po- how we fund public service broadcasting. And I think that's what Minister Martin was saying when she was uh, referencing the Sinn Féin motion. But in the Sinn Féin motion, it's calling for a scrapping of the TV licence fee overnight. This is bizarre stuff. Uh, it's calling for an amnesty for those people who haven't paid uh, the, the TV licence fee. Uh, that, is, that is really crazy. It, it actually really, I, I think, points to very poor judgement on... Uh, Sinn Féin's part, like what else will they provide uh, or ask for an amnesty for? Uh, We are legislators, fundamentally we are there to make laws and we have to uphold the law, and uh, the, the law and amnesty should be really a thing of last resort. OK, but there, not, has, not, been, there not, has
1: been dragging the feet, hasn't there? I mean, we had the Future of um, Media, that commission, it was established in September 2020. I think they reported in July 2022. You didn't agree, the government didn't agree with the idea that there would be direct exchequer funding for public service broadcasting. I believe then there was, what's it called, a technical working group set up. It then reported in March of last year, so when I were into nearly two and a half years, and actually, because of what happened in RTG over the summer, we still don't even know what was in that report. So they may have rushed legislation, but
5: you've dragged your feet. I I think it's fair to say that successive governments uh, going back a long, long time, this question is not a new one, uh, going back a long time, uh, they have uh, failed to grapple with this. But actually, Minister Martin is the first minister uh, to grapple with this issue, and very soon, in a matter of weeks, I would expect... We are going to see the reports of the two groups that are working on this, and there will be a decision of go- government. It will be discussed, it will be debated, and there will be a decision, and there will be a new regime for how we pay for public service OK, podcasting. how is this
1: pro-proposal view today? Were all the opposition against it, and what about within government itself?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the amnesty has very much uh, engendered a lot of ill will from the opposition and the government parties as well, because it's, it's quite a controversial thing to propose. But uh, I dare say it might be quite a popular thing to propose, and Sinn Féin, in proposing this... I think you're encouraging people to vote for them at the next election because they will grant them an amnesty from paying the TV license or if they're about to be prosecuted for paying the TV license, there would be an amnesty from that as well, I take it, Thomas. So look, it's it's a it's a you know, it's been decried as a populist move, but it, 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 that, that is what it is, I guess. And um,
1: But to be fair, there has been pretty mixed messaging yeah. around the TV well, licence, because well, you did have the Taoiseach speak so, to your paper two weeks ago, didn't you, I think, with well, we well, the he headline there, he he seemed to suggest he, that he, he, you could he, abolish the TV licence. Yeah, he license. hasn't
3: said this publicly. What he has said publicly is that it's outdated, mm. uh, the TV licence. Um, my understanding is that should prefers the option of exchequer funding, um, but he hasn't articulated a view publicly in relation to that. But we So re-
1: there's doubts being raised, I suppose, across yeah, the board absolutely. about the future of the TV licence, which doesn't exactly encourage people to no, pay it. No,
3: completely, right? So people know that some sort of change is coming. The media minister, uh, Brian, Brian's uh, party colleague, has proposed uh, exchequer funding, which Sinn Féin are proposing, and, and had mm. kind of signalled they would, would be in favour of, uh, you know, in, in recent weeks, or certainly since last summer. Um, the new element of it is the amnesty. Uh, the so they, sorry and, to cut across sorry, Did yeah. they
1: jump the gun here, do you think?
3: Did they jump the gun? They,
1: well, they, they know I, the mood music as I think raging. there's a
3: broader political context to this, which is that Sinn Féin has been um, falling in the polls consistently over the last few weeks. Um, they've lost ground on the immigration issue. They're, they're quite vulnerable. And so they, they're pivoting to an issue they think might uh, engender more support from the general public. Um, and they're, they're trying to increase their popularity by proposing a move which I think would be quite popular with the general public. Just to to close the loop on on the coalition and the split views, uh, Fianna Fáil, through the Taunista and the Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, have been very clear repeatedly that they don't favour exchequer funding because they're worried about political interference by a future government, even with all of the proposals around ring-fencing the funding and putting in certain protections. They argue that if you do exchequer funding, you open it up to future governments to uh, change or or decrease the level of funding uh, for public service broadcasting. or or tie funding to ensuring that public service broadcasting articulates a a particular political view. All those kinds of things that happen in other countries, um, um, which we haven't had here in Ireland. So there is a a division within government as to how to proceed on this. Um, It's difficult to know where it's going to land. But I think one thing that we should be really cognizant of is the local European elections are in June. Uh, The general election is probably going to be soon after that. Uh, So any government proposing a new charge on households uh, would be playing with fire, I suggest, given the history of charges in advance of election, household charge, water charge back in the austerity years. Not a good idea politically. So I think exchequer funding could be the...
1: The safest option the at the this The safest point. option politically at this point. Mm-hmm. Jane, to go to the bit that has, I think, raised some eyebrows today, and I'm going to come back to this in a second with you, Thomas, this idea of bringing in an amnesty for those who, for whatever dis- reason, have decided to not pay their TV licence. Is there a uh, danger here? Or do you have any concern around creating this precedence? Because we had it with water charges, and now we could have it with a TV licence, that if you decide you're opposed to something for whatever reason, there's a possibility that the government will grant you an amnesty even in case we've broken the law, obviously?
2: Well, it's a purely political kind of decision, isn't it, whether to have an amnesty or not? Um, I remember when I was a child, there was an amnesty for learner drivers. I think there's still probably thousands of people who've never actually sat a test who are driving around on our roads. Bad drivers. Bad drivers. (laughs) Um, You know, so there's always been um, amnesties for, for different things. Um, I'm not sure, like I'm not a court reporter, I'm not sure what's been happening in the courts in the last year. Certainly a lot less people have been paying. Um, Are they all being brought up? Are they being put away? Are they being fined? Are they just being sent home now and told to actually pay it? Which I think is probably from anecdotally what I hear is happening. So I imagine that the the real politic of this is is going to be that if there when once there's a decision about exchequer funding or a charge or whatever it is, the real politic is that, you know, people are not going to be fined €1,000 for not having paid the 160 whether or not there's an amnesty. I imagine the courts are going to be fairly sensible about this. So I think it's just all politics. It's all just sound and fury, really.
1: OK, sound and fury. So let's, let's dig down into this a little bit uh, deeper, Thomas Gould. So this amnesty... Is the amnesty for everyone or anyone who's never paid their TV licence? Whether that came in before the RT scandal or after it?
4: You see, the thing here is people focus on the RT scandal. This report was done before the scandal ever happened. This report OK, I'm on the about the Media. amnesty
1: for people. Oh, yeah, I just want to focus on the amnesty part alone for people who have chosen not to pay their TV licence.
4: Well, what we're saying now is if Sinn Féin were in government tomorrow morning... Or when we are in government, we will abolish the TV licence, replace it with the direct executive funding and, bring, and not drag people through the courts. Like, last year, there was 13,000 people <clears throat> had to go to court. They either had a €1,000 fine, they all got a conviction. Like, as far as... You know, maybe there might be a few, but if you go to court and you don't pay your TV licence, you're going to be fined and you're going to be yeah, convicted. Yeah,
1: because that was
4: the law. Yes, but what we're saying, like, the minister today... The Taoiseach, I, I raised this with the Taoiseach today, and even you just pointed it out, the Taoiseach says it's outdated, the government agree, even Brian agrees that it's, the current system is not fit for purpose. We brought forward a solution because the government haven't done their job. And, and just make so you this... think
1: it's OK then? Is that the message well, you're I... giving to people now? It's OK to break the law, to not no, pay I... your TV licence because it's outdated? No,
4: I paid my own TV licence recently, right? What we're saying is a legal charge right now. We're asking the government to, to realise that this is the right thing to do. And this is not what Sinn Féin are saying. This is what the Commission on the Future of Media reports are no, saying. No, they
1: didn't. They didn't make a comment about the amnesty, uh, let's be clear. Oh, the do amnesty. But they, yeah. well, what
4: they're saying is it should be, we should abolish the TV licence. And can I yeah. say one what, other can point? Can I just
1: say, no, because this is important. To the 15% of people who never paid their TV licence, whether or not there was a scandal in RTE, do they deserve the amnesty but as that's well?
4: That's much higher, no. What about who not What about all the people no, who are not paying? Okay, but what about the
1: people who always made but, a decision not to pay it? But what we are saying is, it's not for purpose. Do they deserve pur- the amnesty, Thomas? It's not for, for purpose. We should be charging the people.
4: One second, oh, this government got rid of the water charges, fee the filing, fee and again, and they gave an amnesty. Amnesties can be given when you have the wrong uh, taxes in place. And, and can I say this one other thing? Thirteen thousand people by 160 euros mm-hmm. is two point eight million euros, right? Just under two point one million, sorry, right? We lost 2.1 million in the fiasco with the late Toy show uh, musical. None of those directors, none of those people in power are going to have to answer for that 2.1 million. But Johnny Murphy or Mary Murphy, don't know it, who couldn't the they're going to be dragged through court. What's
1: your message to all of those people who did pay their TV licence? Are they fools? Maybe no, they should nothings. be refunded if you're going to give them. Well, that's what, happened well that's, mean, yeah, that's what happened with yeah. water That's my next water question. Charges yeah. was re- is refunded. that what you'd suggest? Well, this is the slippery
3: slope we might end up going down, there.
1: Yeah. Thomas, but this right? is, Surely but, but this is the slippery slope it. you'd have to go down. Yeah. You couldn't I punish it. those who were law-abiding, could but you, Thomas? I,
4: I, I was listening to Alan Kelly today and we were talking about the water charges law and what have you. Everyone knew the water charges were wrong and it's the same with the TV licence. OK, so
1: back to that question. To the people who paid their TV licence, will you refund them?
4: But what we're saying depends on how this goes tomorrow night. If the government should it, don't no, what would, against What, what would
1: Sinn Féin's decision be, if you had to make the decision here? When, would you refund those people who did, notwithstanding perhaps not that it's outdated, are they difficulty?
4: We wouldn't, be, ref- would you we refund wouldn't be refunding people for 2023. The Commission... You wouldn't refund those people. No, because we're in a new year now, and according to the Commission, this was to come in in 2024. But, no, well, no, sorry, 2024. no, no, Thomas, you're
1: confusing the issue here. No, no, what no was to I'm come in, What was to come in was perhaps direct exchequer funding. That wasn't introduced, so the law was to pay your TV licence, yes. and that is still the law. You're telling me I'm going to give an amnesty to those who haven't paid it, but I'm not going to refund those who have paid it. Is that not very unfair? Well, that was
4: last year. Known it doesn't year. matter if it was last
1: year or the year before, Thomas. Yes, it does. To those who paid the 160 euro. Are you euro? trying
4: to suggest that we would pay an amnesty or give a rebate five years, six years, seven years? We have to deal. We're here today. It's February 2024. And what Sinn Féin, what I propose tonight, and what we're going to vote on tomorrow night, is...
1: <coughs> Brian Ledden?
4: I,
5: I, I'm, I think what we're hearing is remarkable. I think... Um, do you this, know what's this you is, hold on now. A Sorry, well, can, Thomas, 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 Sorry, I didn't probably, interrupt
4: you, Thomas. When will it be a diet? OK.
5: Look, I think what we're, what we're seeing here from Thomas and from Sinn Féin uh, is they're pointing us in the direction of, of chaos. They're, they're basically saying that, you know, when there's a challenging situation, uh, you know, when, when there's something that's not popular, we're going to offer this mm-hmm. amnesty to the people. I think this is, this is incredible for a lawmaker, a legislator... Uh, whose duty is to uphold the law, to defend it, but to, to make the law. But have you
1: not contributed to this by creating this, this I, void, that, this that, vacuum around uh, this issue? I,
5: really? Really? Are you saying that the... You you've know, contributed that the,
1: to the confusion uh, around the, the TV, TV licence. The, the
5: careful work of the expert advisory groups, the, you know, the slow, methodical, uh, professional so work, so is,
4: methodical. this
5: is really important. This is a difficult thing that has been grappled with for many, many, many years. It's co- this, mm. this discussion goes back decades. Uh, to, to say that because those groups haven't reported yet and a decision hasn't been taken... No, there was. A, that, the Future some, Media
1: Commission did report somehow, and did make recommendations but the government this, doesn't take it on, to be fair, Brian. Somehow this discussion
5: about the amnesty and that it's it's OK to break the law. I, I think this just... No, was, said that, no, let's be fair enough. That no, is has what you're saying.
3: Well, it's very
1: mixed messaging. But you this like is the, come I mean, in this, here?
3: Go, like, this government can, can claim that, you know, that, that Catherine Martin is the first minister to grapple with this issue. Plenty of ministers have looked at this issue over the years. And ultimately, there was a future media commission report. It did say exchequer funding. It was the only one of 50 recommendations of that commission that that yeah. government... Uh, D- declined to accept. And then, rather than uh, pursue the model they would prefer or go with that proposal, for example, the exchequer funding, they set up an interdepartmental group of officials to look at this issue. Again. And that report was delayed, to look at that again. Uh, and then the report went to the minister in March of last year. It sat on her desk and nothing happened for mm. three months. And then, obviously, everything blew up at ORCE. Yeah, so but, that's but, but, point like, I mean, It but was within the power of this too. government you know, a year and a half, 18 months ago, to deal with this issue, mm. and they didn't because they did what successive governments have done with the TV OK, license, Brian, let us
5: respond to that. Uh, Minister Martin is on the record repeatedly as saying she is going to tackle this issue that hasn't been tackled over well, many, saying, many years. Hasn't. And when, we when, expect... And she's that,
3: four years in the so, job, Brian. Sorry, just yes, to make that yeah. point. Yeah, it's so important to make that point.
5: in in We expect the groups are going to report in the next few weeks. Uh, there will be a discussion in government about what... Uh, the solution should be and I fully expect that we will see reform of funding of public service broadcasting. OK,
1: Jane. I just,
5: uh, so I'm really confused by the...
1: I don't think you're going to be the only <laughs> one out there who's confused to see ..by the, it,
2: this interdepartmental group. Like, we've asked who's on it and things. It's not very clear to me who's on it or when it's reported or did it actually put in its report last year or are you still waiting for it? So I'd love to have clarity about exactly what that interdepartmental group is, when it's reported and who's on it. That would be really very interesting for me. I've I've managed to miss it somehow. Um, and then the the other thing that I wonder is like I hear um, Catherine Martin saying she's in favour of exchequer funding. I hear Leo Varadkar talking about yes. a, a broadcast charge, mm-hmm. and I hear Mihal Martin talking about. Um, something to do with the revenue collecting it or something. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that it's actually a party political problem rather than a problem between officials. And I wonder what the the story is about that. And then the final thing, I think, is that the whole thing that actually, uh, the reason you wouldn't do exchequer funding is because you separate it from the politicians. But look at what we have now and look at what the poor English have now with the Tories attacking the BBC. It's precisely the licence fee model that allows politicians to interfere and to withhold Mm -hmm. funding and to hold that over the public sector broadcaster.
3: This is the thing. It's open to any government, for example, of the day to cancel the... uh, TV free TV licences for over over seventy over yeah. seventy so and disability which owns, is yeah. which is a huge amount of money. I think or it's eighty or sixty million. Or to
2: increase it for twenty, so they years. already have influence, which yeah. they already have huge influence. And the hold capacity it over. to change. Yeah. So pretending yeah. that moving to something is actually going to give them more influence that they don't want seems to me to be a little bizarre.
1: And you would argue that actually, if you look across Europe, Jane. More and more and more countries are moving away from this license fee model to direct exchequer True. funding.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I think like Noel Dempsey pointed that out in like 1997 or something, you know, um, when when this first started, you know, like when the internet first started. Like this has been going on
4: since God was a child. Okay, I just, Karen, just, just one thing, like Brian is sat here now. I have a report here. We have a proposal, Sinn Féin, myself and Pierce launched this, I brought it to the dial tonight, we're going to vote it tomorrow. Brian is a member of the government, where's your report? Where's your policy? Your Wait, proposal can, can, is to no, give you, an amnesty but, to people breaking no? the law. I'm proposing a, proposal. a solution. That's what we're no, discussing here No, No, here no, no, Brian. This is what you're defending. No, no, Brian, can you tell us, right? Look at the the viewers out there. When will this government, because you sat in your hand for four years, and let's yeah. be honest, can you give actually a timeline? You're, can you you're a actually neg- negligent. This government is negligent, and that's the Can
1: you give a date? We're not even a date. Let's pick a season, a month. Yes. Yeah, we... I, uh,
4: <laughs> I, 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 I agree. I'm
1: not going to ask you for a date. Yeah. yeah I understand. It'll
4: probably be the late, late toy show. A, that's the year. way things are going with this government.
1: Brian, can you give people?
5: Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's very near. I do, and that's what I'm hearing. And um... And though that group is reporting back, I think, in a matter of weeks. OK,
1: I just want to move on to another uh, story today, Hugh O'Connell, this redacted report into the Toy Show musical. Mm. What a... So it was unredacted parts of it. Mm. What did we learn very briefly? What questions, still outstanding, and what, if anything, will we learn at the the, uh, committee hearings tomorrow, given the fact that so many of the key players are going to be missing?
3: Yeah, well, look, this is the problem with ORT now. I think we've reached the point where we've almost maximized the amount of information that we can extract from uh, the people who are willing to show up at these committees.
6: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start
3: hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's really about the people who aren't willing to show up and principal among them, uh, for medical reasons, obviously, is Dee Forbes, the former director general, who um, has uh, health issues that that have, she says and her uh, representatives say preclude her from attending these committees. So they're now looking at potentially uh, compelling her to appear. Um, this report today, I suppose, puts a bit more uh, in terms of detail into the public domain about uh, the, the principal players... Uh, you had the, the former uh, chair of the board, Moya Doherty, talking about it and board members, uh, you know, saying that it was kind of presented as a fait accompli. Ian Kio was one of them, for example, the uh, former um, uh, Business Post editor, former boss of mine, full disclosure, uh, but a former board member of or- Ortee who was uh, saying that, you know, when, when he was made aware of the toy show, it was very much presented as, this is happening and there was nothing they could do to stop it. And that's but what they all seem to have but accepted. It's, but it's very clear that at no point did it come to the board for a formal decision to sign off on spending... Okay. But do we know, well, are any of those people... Euro. I know my Doherty isn't appearing um, tomorrow. Are yeah, there any of those players? I'm worries? not entirely COVID sure, to be appearing. quite honest with you. Uh, this evening, Shuni Rahalik submitted an opening statement uh, to the committee, uh, which she'll read out tomorrow, which, from uh, my brief glance at it earlier, uh, she's not saying anything that we haven't already heard before. So, uh, as I said, in terms of getting more information out of there into the public domain, I think the committees might have reached their, their maximum yeah, saturation. Value gone winner.
1: from these committees, you'd have to say at this point, Jane.
2: Yeah, absolutely. They need to get the... the You know, they need to get the different people in. But also, I think the people who are going in, I think it's disappointing that Hugh has seen uh, Suen's new uh, speech and there isn't anything new. I really would like to hear um, herself and Kevin Backers setting out a really good vision of, like, what is public broadcasting? Why should we pay for it out of the Exchequer? Mm. What are they actually going to do? Um, I'd like to hear the positive vision rather than just you know, we're going to start accounting for money properly or we're going to have good corporate governance. I that should be the minimum.
1: Accounting for money properly is probably a very good time to talk about the overspends at the National Children's Hospital. The overruns that are there are quite extraordinary uh, brain Leaden, I think it was in 2018, the figure put on the National Children's Hospital was £1.4 billion. And uh, the minister out today putting that figure, he says, for now, for the life of this government, at £2.2 Five billion—it's just eye-watering, notwithstanding what we get in the end.
5: Yeah, it's gone gone up a lot in the five or six years since that uh, that uh, lower estimate, uh, and we've had COVID in the meantime. We've had uh, a war in Europe in the meantime, and all the inflation uh, and delays that go with those things. So, are you, uh,
1: do you agree that with the health minister that the increases that we have seen couldn't have been predicted, given some of those? But I don't—I don't think
5: we could have predicted the pandemic or the war in Europe, and these are central to the the cost overrun, so, and that's not to excuse that uh, any project shouldn't come in on time or on budget, but uh, these events happen and we have to deal with them. Uh, The hospital is going to be finished this year. Uh, It's going to be world-class. I've no doubt in my mind about that, Uh, and- uh, And we've paid a
1: huge price for it. Thomas Gould, are you, if you're in government next year, let's say, Sinn Fein's in government, mm, are you confident we have the final bill for this hospital and what happens if the contractors come and say there have been further overruns?
4: Yeah, I don't believe we have the final bill. Uh, I don't believe the government or the Minister for Health in particular has any control. He hasn't even met with the board. David Colnean asked him yesterday, uh, had he met with the board to discuss uh, where the hospital is and when it will be completed. And I suppose to look at the massive overruns and this is the Minister for Health and he hasn't met with him. Like, this... This is four years over, four years delayed, and 1.7 billion over the original budget. Because the original budget was 700 million, and now we're looking at 2.24 billion and more to come in. Mm-hmm. And the thing here is, right, like there seems to be no accountability. It's like, it's like RT, but in a much bigger version, no accountability. Well, and most there's most serious, serious questions about BAM. BAM are here right. now, and j- just to make this point, these are the same people who are holding Cox Coxsey- uh, hostage of the event center. I see them doing another project in Cockfield Houses. Okay. That they wouldn't let people in for a year and a half. How Bamo getting all these contracts? They're coming in, they're underbidding everyone. We
1: don't. We don't actually know. We know. We, we know they're underbidding how people. Coming in. How do you feel we've got to this point, Hugh? What's well, your understanding? It's of how a very you've expensive design. Overruns? I mean,
3: anyone who saw in your VT there the uh, the curved windows and stuff. I mean, this was a design that wasn't exactly cost effective in the first place. Um, look, it's the most going to be the most expensive healthcare facility ever built in the world. Um, it's going to be world class. It's going to be incredible, and people will forget about the cost. This is the re- political reality of it. They will forget about the cost when it's built, it's delivered, and people, uh, parents, don't have to go to Crumlin and Temple Street and you know facilities where there are great staff, but the you know the, the buildings are out of date. Um, you know, politically, ultimately, Sinn Féin will give out about it, but you, you would continue funding it. You're not going to not open the hospital. No, no. That's the no, yeah. that's the reality we, we of it, Thomas. We will, we will yeah.
1: it. All right, and look, it. we're going to have to leave that conversation uh, there for now. My thanks to Thomas Gould and to Jane Suter for coming in to me. Brian and Hugh are going to be staying on, because after the break, plans to remove cars from Dublin City, but is the capital ready and do businesses support it? We debate. welcome back. Well, a new plan to restrict the use of cars in Dublin city centre is being brought to Cabinet in the coming days. Measures are expected to include a reallocation of road space to pedestrians and public transport, higher street parking charges and the removal of some parking spaces. The aim would be to remove traffic also that has no destination in the city. Well, I'm joined again by Green Party TD Brian Ledden, Hugh O'Connell of the Irish Independent and also joining us this evening on the panel are Keith Gavin of the Irish Parking Association and Olivia Kelly, Dublin editor At the Irish Times, and you're invited to have your say in our interactive poll tonight. We're asking Do you support plans to reduce private car use in our city centres? You can vote online on virginmediatelevision.e forward slash vote or follow the QR code that is on your screen, and we'll bring you the poll results later in the programme. Okay, I'm going to come to you first, Olivia. So, the thing I suppose that's caught people's attention here is this plan to try and reduce the number of cars that are driving through Mm. Dublin city centre, particularly around the north and south quays traffic that many of us will have sat in. How exactly is it proposed that this would work?
7: Well, firstly, just to say, that's not going to Cabinet. That's just going to be done between the National Transport Authority and Dublin City Council. So we already know that those measures are going to come in in the, in the summer, actually. And, yes, as you in say... In August. It's... Yeah, by August, the council sort of said the summer, Eamon Ryan said August, so we'll see between the, the two of them where that actually falls. Um, and you mentioned the North and South keys, yeah. So on Bachelors Walk, so that's the north side, just before O'Connell Bridge, Aston Key, the uh, south side of the river, just after O'Connell Bridge, if you're looking at it in the direction of Houston Station, those Two points will be made, public transport only, and cyclists and pedestrians. It really is just that concentrated. It really is that core of the city centre. There's also another measure up on Westland Row, which would stop motorists turning left onto Pier Street. I I realise I'm throwing a lot of different directions at you now. But again, that's just to stop cars coming into that that very concentrated core of the city centre. Now, people have been losing their minds over this, but really, it's it's it is just that concentrated. Well, and for most to... people, it's not going to make a difference. Well,
1: six out of ten cars that go into the city centre don't have a destination within the city centre; else. they're going are beyond going somewhere else. So, actually, it does interrupt.
7: Well, I'd say a lot of those people, if they looked at it, if they're if they're using the keys. Now, very few mo- motorists are actually using the keys anymore because they've become so congested over the years. But people who are still using the keys, if they looked at it, there might be a better way for them to go. Now, I've, I've done a You don't a few... think they might have found that better way to go with
1: somebody who sat I in the keys? I looked very... long and hard to see if there was alternative routes with no, less traffic and, and there wasn't really. I think
7: I think people get very in, entrenched in habits or, or like their notion of their traditional route and maybe don't think of it so much. I, I've, I've heard a lot of people, and particularly today, I heard a lot of people because the children's hospital is in the the news bringing up how will people get to the children's hospital? Now, if you think about it, if you think about the James's site, mm. so for people coming from the south side, it makes zero difference. From people coming from the west to Dublin, again, no difference. So you're not going through the city centre, and for most of the north side, you're not going through the city centre. Now, the one place would be par- perhaps the north east inner city, and I've I've done this over several days now, different times of the day. I have dropped pins going from, on Google Maps, going from, say, North Strand over to James's. And in no case is taking the keys the quickest route for you. So it's not going to make a difference to you.
1: OK, you're one of those people, I think, that Olivia would say has been up, up in arms over this, who's real concerns over the proposals that the way Olivia outlines them, they sound like they'll have minimal interference with your businesses and businesses in the city.
6: Sure, and I wish the measures being proposed are are being introduced now were as limited as Olivia sets them out to be. And I read your piece in the paper at the weekend, Olivia. Um, I think we need to just step back for a minute and see exactly what we're doing. We're, We're putting out a message now that access to Dublin city centre is being restricted by private car. Okay? Now, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, sorry a no, so, no sorry if... I,
7: access through, not access uh, okay, to. OK,
6: and this, and this line and this spin of through traffic, I'm, I don't accept that, Olivia, because what we're doing now is we are stopping traffic from east to west, west to east, north to south, and south to north, OK? I just, I'll give you a very simple example. And I know you talk about dropping pins on the North Strand and going over to James's hospital. But for a very simple example, somebody, say, from Lucan, it wants to go to a concert in the Three Arena, Okay, What these proposals, what these plans are doing are pushing people out onto an already congested ring road, making them pay tolls at the M50 toll bridge, making them pay another toll at the Port Tunnel and stopping them going through the city centre. Now, in the words and in the policy and the plan being promoted at the moment, calling that true traffic, that's not true traffic. Somebody going from the west side of the city to the east side of the city is not through traffic. But maybe they're going they're into, they're into they're Dublin city into city city and No, Centre. Sorry, if I can just finish as well. The, the, we need some facts here in this debate. The, the car volume, despite all, all the propaganda that's been put out there, the volume of cars using Dublin City Centre has declined by 30% in and the yet, last 10 years. And congestion seems worse congestion than ever. Congestion is worse because it's designed to be worse. They've brought in bus lanes, temporary cycle lanes, pedestrianisation. They are making... It's called congestion charging by stealth. It's what the city manager himself said, that this was what they were going to do to stop people coming in, in their cars. And my big concern, just to finish, sorry, my big concern and our members' concern is what that does to the city centre as a a destination, the city centre, which is competing with out-of-town centres, and we are doing untold economic damage to Dublin City Centre.
1: OK, do you acknowledge that there is an economic impact in a measure like this? That it will have an impact on businesses because there'll be, I think you're going to be suggesting, less footfall in the City Centre?
6: Already, that, that there was a decline of over a third. When College Green Gate was brought in over 15 years ago, there was a decline in footfall of a third. And you're thinking, you
1: suggest that that's directly it correlated every, to that measure. Every okay, traffic intervention
5: responds. has led to a footfall okay, so Brian, this, reduction. Brian, this is
1: a Green Party proposal, obviously. So the economic impact on businesses.
5: Yeah, the economic impact will definitely be there and it'll definitely be positive, as it's proven the world over. When you make public transport work, you get more people into the city. That Dublin is one of the last cities in, in the developed world to uh, to prioritise public transport uh, and walking and cycling. That's okay, what's happening here. How does it here. have a
1: positive economic impact? Because you're getting if more Keith people. Says actually there's a 30% fall in footfall when there's things like the pedestrianisation around this is,
5: the, Trinity the, College. This is about using space, limited street space better. Buses can carry much more, more people uh, mm-hmm. than cars can for the space that they take up. It's This is simple geometry, simple physics. This is how cities, thriving cities work. They work on public transport systems, not on... Uh, systems that are totally oriented towards the private car. We've all traveled all over Europe, all over the world. This is the way to do it. Dublin is last to the party here. This is, and all of the measures that have happened over the years, they've massively improved the life in Dublin and the economic vitality of Dublin because it's more people into Dublin City. OK, the
1: the argument will be, Hugh, yes, a lot of people will support this measure, Mm. but in Ireland, we keep it in the cart before the horse. We don't have those public transport options, those joint public transport options, that make it easier for people to get out of their car and take the alternative. And that's what we're doing here, forcing people out of their car before they're ready.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's true. And, you know, there's an argument, perhaps, that, you know, should Bus Connects not be in, before we, we start doing things like this or bus connects being fully, I know it's being kind of rolled out incrementally. Um, but like Dublin's a nightmare, like, you know, the city centre is a nightmare to try and get through. If you're trying to get, you know, get through to get to the, like even at the weekend, I was trying to get over to the north side and like public transport is is a nightmare on a Sunday. So like all of those things have to be improved. But I don't think that I haven't heard and with all due respect, a compelling argument for not doing this. Uh, given the way in which D- Dublin city centre is kind of constantly gridlocked. It's mm-hmm. not even just at rush hour, in my experience. Yeah, it's g- at lunchtime, it's at weekends. It's just... It's it's impassable. OK, you know? the argument so... that
1: actually it could make the city centre more enjoyable, congestion actually acts as a deterrent for some people going into the city centre, make the environment more enjoyable, improve the public transport, and actually those businesses will feel the benefit. But that's
6: the point I'm making. This congestion has been designed into the system. They have made the city... With a 30% reduction in cars Mm. in the city centre, congestion has gotten. Worse. So what's the solution? Now, so what, we I just Grafton Grafton sorry, sorry. May, may I finish, Brian? Street, may I finish. That's a total, you failure. Keep total about, failure. You keep talking about Grafton Street and Henry Street. Yeah. That like, didn't close access to the city centre. We to kept Grafton access Street. open to the city centre. So center. much has been done about this. Brian, and worse. Brian, okay, you're talking. Let me respond here. Hold on a second. Brian, is that the solution? Brian, you're talking about no. The solution is a proper public transport. Absolutely, network. and this is and, how you deliver uh, it. May, may I finish? It's prioritisation of You oh, are lap. doing Hopefully this. Spanish, you please. are doing this. You're bringing in these crazy policies when we have a third world public transport network. I don't know what bit you don't get. You're talking about going to European cities, international This is about delivering may, a world-class may, public may transport system. Well, where is our world-class? This is, a, where this is, is how to we're, deliver we're, it. We're it's about, about the having a metro better. in 2035... It's like, about, are, you for, the, are you for real? The, the, the bus is when the workhorse you, okay. of, the, of the Dublin transport system. The bus okay, better. is not the answer. Olivia,
7: this a fair point. It's been made by Keith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, in a way, it's surprising, that Keith, that you're not in favour of this because the National Transport Authority's statistic is that six out of ten drivers who are in the city centre aren't going to the city centre. They're going off somewhere else. And so. they're they're of no benefit to your car parks, they're of no benefit to your business. So if they were gone, there'd be more road space for those motorists who do have a a, a destination in the city centre, who want to be in the city centre, be it to shop or work, to come and, and go to your car parks. Maybe it'll this make could backfire, Olivia. Maybe it'll bring more cars into the city centre. <laughs> well, it, well, it could. It could. Well, the last thing I'd say about this really is what we're talking about here is a little bit of inconvenience for motorists. And I think most decent motorists would think that for the greater good, to improve bus transport, and that's one of the it, it, reasons it, we have to is get it, rid of Is
1: it inconvenience, let's say, for some There's older another. people who would drive into the city centre who wouldn't be comfortable hopping yeah, on their bike can or still, don't have? They can still, is it inconvenience? Well, it is.
7: There's no, bridges. There's no bridges that are currently houses. open to people across the Liffey. No bridges being closed. It may just take them a little bit of extra time, a more roundabout route to get to where they're going, but they're not being blocked from going in.
1: OK, look, we asked um, people in our nightly interactive poll and tonight's question was, do you support plans to reduce private car use in our city centres? The result of that poll, 24% said yes and 76% of people <laughs> say no. And <laughs> I mean, Keith I'm, is going to go home I'm, delighted. I'm, <laughs> Thank GP's you, I would like to
6: say that that shows... That the majority of sensible people realise that this plan is not practical until we have a proper public. And every other service
1: to have to so leave it uh, there for now. My thanks to Brian Ledden, to Keith Gavin, and to Olivia Kelly for coming in. As Hugh is going to be staying with me after the break. Rafa braces for an Isra- Israeli assault. We'll bring you the very latest. Welcome back. Well, the United Nations chief has said a planned Israeli military offensive in Rafah will have devastating consequences. Antonio Guterres said public order had now broken down, with over 1.4 million Palestinians crammed into the small southern city. Many are living in tents, with water, food, and medical supplies scarce. Political correspondent with the Irish Independent, Hugh O'Connell, has stayed with me, and he's joined now down the line by the CEO of Action Aid, Carol Balf. Carol, to come to you first. We said there's 1.4 million people sheltering in Rafa, but this was an area that pre-war had a population of just 250,000. So how are they dealing with this massive population increase and what would happen if there was a ground offensive there?
0: Yeah, so Rafa is essentially one of the world's largest refugee camps and is under extraordinary pressure and strain. I don't think there's any place in the world that is experiencing the type of horror that Rafa is in these days. So as you said it's swelled. The population is about five times the size of what it was before October the 7th. The population are traumatised. They're living in terror, in absolute panic. They have been displaced up to four times, now living in very crowded and unsanitary conditions. So we are aware that you know families are about 10 people into a tent Often that tent will be flooded with water. There isn't proper food or um, clothing for children in particular. And people are starving and hungry. And Rafa is not able to cope with the number of people there. We need to get aid in urgently. And it really is a very, very serious humanitarian situation.
1: Israel have continued to say that they are allowing aid in Rafah, but there are real restrictions, aren't they? Describe for people the, what those restrictions look like.
0: Yeah, so obviously aid is so desperately needed as people approach levels and are experiencing levels of famine. But what we are experiencing, what aid um, has happened is that there's been such a level of restriction, so often very arbitrary um, rules about what gets in and what doesn't get in. And obviously people will know that, you know, before this started, about 500 trucks of aid a day were getting in. At the moment, it's about 100. It changes daily, but nowhere near enough. And the rules just don't make sense so poles for tents weren't being allowed in, children's jumpers because they have zips and zips are deemed to be dangerous. We are hearing of fruit with stones not getting in because the stones might be used as bullets or they might be planted as trees to feed people further. So just really ridiculous and arbitrary restrictions and completely in violation of the International Court of Justice ruling, which said very clearly that Israel had to increase the amount of aid that was getting in And Israel says it is letting aid in, but that is not the experience of organisations operating on the ground. And when aid does get in, there's problems with distributing that aid. There isn't enough fuel to actually transport. Actually getting around Rafa where tents are so overcrowded is almost impossible, and it's just not reaching the level that it should be, and the restrictions just don't make sense.
1: Okay, Carl Barl, thank you uh, for bringing us that update. Uh, Hugh O'Connell, at the very start of the programme, we played a clip from uh, the Minister for um, Jobs and Enterprise, Simon Mm. Coveney, saying that Israel Israel is acting as a rogue state. He said, You cannot deal with a monster. by becoming a monster, essentially, yeah. and you had the sense today that Ireland was upping the ante, like we have seen in the UK, I suppose, in, in recent days too.
3: Yeah, uh, the, the Taoiseach in the doll said that Israel was was blinded by rage. Um, you know, even the the tarnished earlier in the week described, um, or on, on Monday described what what effectively what, was, what had happened in Rafa over the weekend. Um, as genocide or or akin to genocide. So this is a ramping up of the rhetoric and allied to that, the Taunishta will host uh, the UNRWA uh, chief, uh, that's the UN-Palestinian Aid Agency, uh, Philippe Lanzini in Dublin on Thursday, I think. And UNRWA has had its uh, uh, funding suspended by several donor nations, large donor nations, including the UK and the US, um, because of these allegations that Israel has made about twelve staff being involved in the Hamas attacks on, on October seventh. Mm. So Ireland is very much siding with uh oh, in relation to this and is at uh, the Tony indicated today they would increase funding. Okay. We'll have this to year. leave it
1: there, Hugh, and thank you to all my guests and to you at home. See you back here tomorrow night. Good night. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.